I am thrilled with today's guest. Uh, couldn't be more timely. My good friend, Michael Cohn. Uh, everybody knows Michael. He needs no introduction. So first question, I, how are you feeling this week? Uh, it's obviously been a, a long, winding road for you. And I'm just curious, as you sat there seeing Trump being arraigned, what was going on in your gut? You know, I was very mixed. I've, I've been asked that question a lot, Donnie. And first, to your listeners, I do want to say something, which is I have nothing but the utmost of love and respect for you who has been on this journey with me from day number oh, one. You. How many hours I've sat with Donnie talking to him about this journey that I was now going to be facing literally from the very, very um, beginning, from the day of the raid. So for that, you know, you're a part of this thing too. I'm not really sure how to explain how I felt watching it. I was glad to see that accountability was being had, something that Donald has managed to escape his entire life. So I was glad to see that there was accountability finally taking place. At the same time, I was saddened. I'm saddened for the country as he is the first president of the United States of America to be indicted and watching this shit show taking place from the moment that that fake caravan of vehicles, right? I mean, you would think that this was, it reminded me very much of like coming to America when, you know, <laughs> with Eddie Murphy, right? When uh, uh, King Jaffe Jaffer, you know, was traveling to Eddie Murphy's apartment. It's what it reminded me of. It was that ridiculous. Seven, you know, seven cars uh, and so on, taking the big plane as opposed to the Citation 10, which is a small aircraft. Um, you know, for him, he wanted to make it a show because I guess he thought like, you know, um, Caesar, that he was going to come through the gates and that he was going to get some sort of a hero's welcome when he returned to New York, that here he is standing in, what were there, like tens and tens of supporters, the biggest yeah. group of people in front of Trump Tower when Donald finally landed and arrived at the apartment on Fifth Avenue was the press pool. And yeah. I actually went over there. I went over to see what was going on, which was probably a little stupid. But I went over to see what was going on. And that press pool was the biggest I've seen in a long, long time. You know, I, I had asked you a couple of weeks ago the same question. How are you feeling? When, when, it, when it was first coming out that he was getting the indictment was coming through. And you said, well, I'll let you answer because my answer was, oh, you have. And people don't realize how you are being threatened, how you now have to retain lawyers that this is not, there's nothing in it for you. You keep kind of, they keep taking skin from you. Yeah, you know, one of the things I also try to explain to people is that, yes, I went in and I provided information. Yes, I provided documentation. Yes, I went ahead and I appeared twice before the grand jury, which was done via subpoena. This district attorney of New York, Alvin Bragg and his team, treated me the same way they treated every other person that came in to the office. It was all via subpoena. And so you think I'm going to avoid this subpoena? I was not um, for many different reasons. One, 
I said a long time ago, and you and I had discussed this right after I was on George Stephanopoulos. It's almost, Donnie, it's almost five years ago today. The raid was April 9th. But I spoke with George Stephanopoulos and I said to him that my wife, my daughter, my son, and my country have my first loyalty. And I said, I will continue to provide whatever information that I can to ensure that justice is had. But more important than even that is when I turn around and I said to George that I will not let history, they've already taken everything else away from me. I mean, not my wife, not the love of my wife and my children, but they've taken away everything from me. I wasn't going to let them take away my family name and my reputation. I was not going to let history remember me as the villain of Donald's story. You know, I watched as Joy Reid turned around and said to, I think it was either Takapina or one of the other idiots that, you know, were running around there castigating me and saying, you know, um, Michael's not the one who had the affair with Stormy Daniels. Michael's not the one who had the affair with Karen McDougal. He did what he did for his boss. And I was so clear about this, including at the time of my sentencing, when I specifically stated that what I did, I did at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. That's something that these maggots, these Trump followers just refuse. They just refuse to hear. So they only want to play with half a sentence. What do you say to people, because there are a lot of people, Democrats even, who say, well, you know, this is kind of ticky-tack, and you've already served time for this ticky-tack. Yeah, well, look, you and I, Donnie, had that conversation right after the raid when you said, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. It's ticky-tack. It's not going to go anywhere. Well, if it was enough for the for law enforcement to charge me, right, and to incarcerate me for, we have only one set of laws in this country. The laws that apply to you and I have to apply equally to those who are in power. And I don't care if it's even the president of the United States of America. If hypothetically, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's any president, they break the law, they have to be held accountable the same way that every other Joe or Jane American has to be held accountable. Now, what drives me crazy is when I hear stuff like that. Oh, you know, it's, you know, I would rather see the January 6th, right? The insurrection, uh, seditious conspiracy as the first one, or the attempt to overthrow a free and fair election, the DA Fonnie Willis case in Fulton County, or even something that I consider to be more significant than even this case. And that's the stolen documents where Trump lied about it, had oh, a lawyer contest to it. The second Jack Smith case. Uh, yes, I acknowledge that those three cases are more legally significant. But why are we now ranking which one should go first, second, third, fourth? Just because District Attorney Bragg moved forward with his case doesn't mean that these other cases are going to disappear. doesn't mean that they're going away. For all we know, 
maybe the end of this month or the beginning of next month, Fannie Willis drops her indictment. And then maybe the month after that, Jack Smith drops one of his indictments. The other, these indictments are not going away simply because, you know, Alvin Bragg went first. And we're not, this isn't a horse race. We're not supposed to say which, we're not betting on which one is first, second, third. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The law is the law. And if that law was enough for me to be incarcerated and it was done at the direction of, in coordination with and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Okay. He has to be held accountable too. You were there with him from the beginning, going down the escalator. You were actually kind of the mastermind behind a lot of it. And Trump's brand was always about strength and invincibility. You know, he even put out his NFT cards, and he's either Superman or a cowboy or an astronaut. And I talked about this this morning, Morning Joe. He looked very different sitting in that courtroom. That, that, that His brand is very different now. He looked beat up. He looked weakened. He looked muzzled. Quite a far cry from the brand you started with and were part of making years ago. Yeah, well, did we expect really anything else? Look, Donnie, you know Donald a long, long time. Um, He's not someone who likes not to be in control. At the end of the day, he knew when walking into that courthouse, he had no control at all. He's sitting beneath the judge, Judge Mashan, and he is being accused of a series, 34 potential crimes at the end okay, of I want the- to stop you right, I want to stop you right here because you know how many people say to me, what exactly did he do? What exactly is the crime? Can you in Michael Cohn terms for the audience say, this is exactly what he did and these are the 34 counts. I kind of want to hear it from you because it's amazing how many people, how many educated people don't really understand the crime still. So, you know, Donnie, I want to be very careful because one of the things that Judge Mershon actually did is he had said, hey, um, both to Donald as well as to potential witnesses and so on, you need to be careful what you say. Uh, And I acknowledge that, but there were 11 counts of uh, misrepresentation for books and records. There was campaign finance violation, which was not put in there as a conspiracy. But if you have to read the document in its totality, uh, there's a 13-page statement of facts that spells it all out for anyone. The problem is most people don't want to read. They just want somebody to say it, like the way Donald used to do it. He wanted four or five bullet points in crayon so that... It's easy for him to say, this is not a simple case. There was a great article in the New York Times the other day, uh, and it was written by uh, Agnifilo, who was formerly uh, with the DA's office, as well as Norm Eisen, explaining just how significant and legitimate that this case is. But I don't want people to lose sight of the fact that this is only one of many cases that are coming sure. down the road. So, you know, don't you don't need to hang your hat. Even a friend of mine who was a former DA, he turned around and he called me up the other day. He goes, 
this is going to propel Donald into the White House. You know, what the hell did you do? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, oh my God, you're really not that stupid, are you? Let me be very clear about something, too. 70% of Americans, that's Republicans, Democrats, and independents, all acknowledged that this is legitimate, what Alvin Bragg did, and wanted to see this happen. How do you win under those numbers? How do you win under those circumstances? It's so amazing. I also talked about this this morning, how the Republicans destroyed. The only person this hurts is DeSantis because it puts Trump more news. But DeSantis was the only shot the Republicans had. This I think this really helps him in the primaries. It doesn't help him in a general election. Nobody's electing this guy. It's just the Republicans can't help but shoot themselves in the foot. Let me, I want to go a little inside baseball behind the scenes. We always hear the word grand jury. But we don't see it, obviously. What what goes on in a grand jury room? What I mean, we we we've seen obviously many criminal and civil cases. We know what those look like. What goes on with a grand jury that's any different? So in this specific case, the grand jury room is not what many people think. It's not a courtroom uh, where you know you have uh, the nice mahogany wood and so on. It's basically right. a ver- this one was a very large room. Um, they had the seats spread out. There were twenty three grand jurors. They put me in front of a table, a plastic table, <laughs> with a microphone. Uh, they had a um, smart board behind that, you know, they were able to show um, pictures of evidence and so on so that they can ask me questions about. Uh, and the lead prosecutor is standing and has a microphone. Uh, they, It's no different than you know, what appears to be a trial when you're, you know, in the witness box. But of course, there is no judge there. It's Mm -hmm. the grand jurors, the 23. And in order to get an indictment, uh, you need a majority. What did that look, what did the 23 look like? What was the makeup of the grand jury? It was very, very mixed. It was very typical New York. You had young, you had elder, you had black, white, brown, you had Asian, um, male, female. It was an absolute... Um, fantastic mix of New Yorkers. And how long are you in front of the grand jury? You went there twice, total hours. Uh, a little over five. A little over five hours over two days. The first day I was there for three hours. The second for a little over two hours. Uh, what's nice is at the end of the um, the the end of the presentation by the prosecutor, the grand jurors get to ask you questions. So they're filling in open issues that they have regarding questions that the prosecutor had. And I was asked a dozen plus questions by grand jurors, some of which were extremely relevant and for clarification purpose. This was not a grand jury that had, from the way I can see, some sort of preconceived bias towards Donald Trump. Whether they liked him or not, they didn't act that way. And the questions that many of the grand jurors had asked seemed to be benefiting, or at least they were trying to understand better issues that related to Donald that might have gone the other way where they would not have given the thumbs up for the indictment. So I was extremely impressed by all of them. And at the end of the day, 
they determined that an indictment was warranted based upon the prosecution's um, evidence. You know Donald as well as anybody. There's two schools of thought right now. One is that he's emboldened and this has energized him. And another is this is a guy who's really feels like he's in the corner and he is uh, under siege. And I'm curious, which what, what do you think if you're going to get inside his head and do a little little Trump mind reading? How are you guessing he's feeling right now? He's terrified. You know, this bullshit act that he's trying to portray, um, it only fools those who want to be fooled. He's terrified right now because not only is, you know, his financial empire soon to be crumbling, and that's a direct result of the upcoming trial by Tish James and all of the other things that uh, occur when you are indicted. Uh, banks can't work with you. The entire company seems to be, you know, there were 17 counts against the company. There's a lot of things that are coming down the pike that he knows that do not benefit him. But he's also terrified about being held accountable, about ultimately being on that stand and having to try to tell the truth. Because as you know, and the American people know, this is a guy who lied to the American public 35,000 times. This is not a guy who knows how to tell the truth. He'll tell you what he thinks you want to hear. That doesn't work under oath. And he's petrified that he will be found guilty because the entire aura of Donald Trump, the, the illusion that's Donald Trump will go away very much like when, you know, who was it, uh, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, when they pulled down the curtain and exposed The Wizard of Oz. They're doing that right now. They're pulling down the curtain of Donald Trump and exposing him for the fraud that he is. I don't think people really realize what his life is like, what Mar-a-Lago is like, what a small little bubble old country club Describe how he's living and what it like. It's so bizarre. He's got a hundred people around him who applaud him every day. He's got this bizarre little bubble that's so detached from reality. But describe kind of how small his life in Mar-a-Lago is. Is he's living in a two-bedroom corporate apartment? It's a. I don't think people really understand what his life is like now. I think it, personally, I think it sucks. It reminds me very much of my eighteen months of home confinement. Yes. Um, though my apartment is larger than his you know, living quarters there. Um, Yes, as soon as he comes downstairs for dinner, whichever sycophants that are there will get up and they start to applaud. He walks around with shirts and jackets that only say President of the United States. You would think that he doesn't have a wardrobe. All he has is whatever presidential shit, you know, that he could wear at the time. But everybody gets up and they start to applaud as the king comes in. I mean, the the other day when he finally returned to Mar-a-Lago, who did he have dinner with? Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gaetz. I mean, this is a guy who got his ego stomped on by Judge Mershon, by the fact that I don't know if you saw this when he was walking through the doors. The police officer didn't even hold the door for him. The door I saw that. I noticed that. I noticed that. He's not used to opening and closing doors, right? I noticed that. It's now 
his ego was so deflated. You could see it in his face. It's a combination of anger that he's being put through this process and, and being completely petrified. So he then goes and he runs to his acolytes, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Matt Gateses, and so on. So in that way, they could pump him back up. He's like a deflated balloon that requires patching. Now, that's all fine and dandy, and he gets up there, and what does he do? How you can tell that he's completely unhinged by the events of the day? He gets up there, and he does exactly what the judge told him not to do. Yeah. Stop attacking people. Don't attack me. Don't attack my family. Don't attack the DA. Don't attack the prosecutors. Don't attack the witnesses. He's now looking at a potential gag order. And if in fact that happens, you know, as well as I, Donnie, that Donald is incapable of following directions. So he will then violate the gag order and force Judge Mershon to go ahead and to do what? To issue a contempt contempt order. Right. Michael, what's going on in your life these days? You know, um, I'm working on, I have not one, but two top podcasts. Maya Culpa is, I mean, is killing it. Now it's also available on YouTube. So we're over 100 million downloads. That's crazy. It's crazy. I never expected it to be as big as it is. And political beatdown that I do with Ben Micellis of the Midas Touch, we have that on a YouTube channel. It's killing it. In fact, when uh, we did it on Tuesday, which was the day of the um, indictment, we were number one on YouTube in the world in terms of streaming, which it's always nice to be able to break or something. And, you know, I have, I started a company which is called Crisis X and that handles crisis management, sort of what I had done for Donald. Um, You know, that's growing uh, and excited about that, but I'm spending a lot of time with family, this this journey is so much harder than what people could even imagine. I mean, I've had this conversation privately with you, and you know, I get the wonderful advice from a longtime friend. You just have to keep doing it. You have to suck it up. I mean, I'm I get beaten up on a regular basis on social media. Many times, I know that they're bots, but they're not always bots. You know, the other day when uh, I put out this um, statement and some Trump supporter turns around and says, wait, it was about the podcast, about political beatdown. And he goes, aren't you in prison? How are you (laughs) able to do a podcast from prison? And that sort of shows me something about the people that are so willing to fight for Donald. They're uneducated, which Donald likes. He likes the poorly educated. That's his words, not mine. And they have those that are so myopic in what they read or what they watch that they don't even realize that I've been out of jail now for two plus years. I mean, so I responded back, yes, I am in Alcatraz. And the warden (laughs) was very kind and allowed me to use my commissary money to purchase podcasting equipment. I mean- then 160,000 people start attacking this guy for being a complete and utter fool, which clearly he is. But my life has been turned absolutely upside down and inside out. Many people keep, including this friend of mine, it's a former you know, prosecutor, said, you know, maybe if you just shut up your relationship with Donald will 
it'll it'll be refreshed. And maybe if he wins, he'll pardon you, and then you know your life will go back. You Somebody know, said normal. this to you. Jesus he said Christ. this to me, and I I said to him, I don't even know whether I want to hang up on you or drive to your house and punch you right in the face. I really don't know which one I would rather do. You can't be that stupid. I'm not looking for Donald's friendship. I'm not looking for Donald's pardon. I'm not looking for anything from him other than, of course, the money that he owes me, which I'm suing him, and that case is going (laughs) to trial too. But at the end of the day, I am really concerned for this country, Uh, more so than, than people believe in the amount of abuse that I get on social media. But then again, when I'm walking through the streets of New York, you've seen this, you know, oh, yeah. when I walk. You're a hero. You're a hero. Um, to many people. But though I don't, and you know, I, I don't call myself a hero. I don't, I don't accept the term. I'm just someone who's doing what I need to do for my I journey. I know you don't see it, but what's, it, what's interesting is I watch people, whether they're having lunch or people on the street, how people treat you in New I'm not saying this would be the same in, in Mississippi, but in New York City, people love you, and they they recognize kind of how your life's been turned upside down and the sacrifices you've made. But Michael, I want to tell you, I appreciate you taking time. I know you're very very busy, and you stay well, my friend. And the same, and I will definitely be seeing you soon. All right, buddy, stay well. Be good, pal. <laughs>